This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. Today we have with us Michelle and Matthias Hansen. Uh, if you know uh, Matthias from Twitter or if you've met him at previous Laracons as I have, uh, you might have gotten his name wrong as Matthias or Matthias, but uh, his wife Michelle very graciously told me just to ignore the H and that is the correct way to pronounce it. So it is Matthias. So welcome to the show, guys. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, we're excited to ask you a couple questions. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got both of you together on the show, uh, just for everybody to be informed. These are a, a pair here, and they actually are going to be doing a tag team talk this year. So I think they're going to run across the stage, tag hands, and then switch. Is that how it's going to, is that how it goes? Basically. Basically. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> okay, so I'm excited to see that. Uh, and I'm interested to hear kind of like what the what's the division of labor there? Like, how does that, how is that going to work? We usually we usually talk a little bit about you guys and, and what you do first. But real quick, I just want to get this figured out. So how is this talk exactly going to work? Like what what's you know, kind of how's the the topic work and how is it that you guys will kind of do this together? So we're going to be speaking about launching and scaling a side project, uh, mostly pulling from our experiences launching Geocodio. And the division of labor will be that I will be speaking about the business and product side and Matthias will be speaking um, about the tech side of it. Very cool. Awesome. All right. That sounds good. I'm, uh, it's, it's interesting. So before we started the show, I uh, went on and looked at kind of some of the side projects you guys have going on. So that's, that's pretty cool. So why don't we start there? Um, just let's talk about, first of all, where you guys are from, what are your full-time jobs, and then what are some side things that you have going on? So I am from Massachusetts. Um, and we live in Virginia now, just outside of DC. Um, my, I guess my day job is um, I lead product development at The Motley Fool. And what was the last question? Oh, it was just, uh, what were some of your side things? But we can get to that in a minute, so that's fine. So, uh, right, that's, uh, and here's my question about The uh, Motley Fool. So I went on and realized it's fool.com. Mm -hmm. You guys must have gotten that like way early. That's a crazy domain name. I can't imagine <laughs> yeah, how much I think it must the, the Fool was started in 1990 uh -huh. uh, on AOL. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, what is it that uh, what is it that the Motley Fool does? Um, so we provide um, investment advice and newsletters to hundreds of thousands of people um, in the US and um, across the world. And I primarily work on um, developing uh, new products for our U.S. audience, um, and it's it's a really fun and incredible place to work. Um, and I should probably mention that we are currently hiring a PHP developer to do a combination of a Laravel and WordPress work. Ooh, Michael, cool. are you planning on moving to the U.S. anytime soon? Um, maybe, maybe, maybe not in the next three and a half years. There we go. That'd be. That'd be a perfect fit because you've done some WordPress stuff. So, you you know, you got the Laravel, you got the WordPress going on. We'd love to get you That's here, right. man. It'd be nice to have you a little bit closer right. so we could deal in like time zones that are less than 14 and a half yeah. hours apart. <laughs> I was I was actually talking to a friend um, yesterday and we were supposed to catch up for a call. And because uh, it was my dad's birthday, I'd completely forgotten about it. And he goes, oh, can we do it next week? I said, well, next week's my last day. So I probably will not be in a state to have a phone call with you. And then he goes, what about the week after? I said, well, the week after I'll be in the United States. So that actually may be easier. So, <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. These things are always tricky. It is, it is quarter to six in the morning at the moment. So. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. You're, yeah. He's a <laughs> good a man. He does, this, he does this on the regular. Yeah. He does this on the regular. Sacrifices his Saturday mornings to, to give us all the uh, Aussie awesomeness that we need in our lives. <laughs> Matthias, uh, how about you? How long have uh, you been working at the place that you're at? Where is it that you work? Uh, where are you from? All that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. so I'm originally from Denmark. And um, yeah, of course, I live in Virginia, as Michelle said. Um, and um, I work at a company called Videoblocks as a software engineer. And what we do at Videoblocks is we essentially the Netflix of stock media. So um, you can buy a monthly subscription and you can get access to like um, uh, basically video clips. Uh, stock video clips or photos and things like that. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, 
that's what we do. And do you guys have a primarily like a PHP backend? Is that what you're working in most days as you work on Laravel stuff or? So um, we have a PHP, um, our primary code base is PHP. And um, I'm not working as much with Laravel day to day as I wish I did, but I'm sneaking Laravel in as much as I can, uh, along with a, another coworker who's also like a Laravel developer. So we are, you're slowly uh, having Laravel take over the internal code base without nobody noticing. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I think I've used the service before, actually, Video Blocks. I The name sounds familiar, and I think uh, I think we've used it before. So, awesome. Um, so, one thing that we kind of like to do on the show is we like to hear about, uh, it's always interesting to hear people's journey into how they got started with development. I would even be interested to hear kind of how you guys met as well, um, if that was through code stuffs or where you were working. Um, but whoever you, uh, whichever of you wants to start, I'd love to just hear about kind of like your earliest memories with computers and how it was that you kind of got into development and or product work. I think you have some good stories of you as a child with computers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I got into computers uh, pretty pretty early on, like back at home. My, my parents had a Windows 3.11 machine, which was really interesting. We got internet and stuff like that. Um, one thing that I found was a lot of my friends really liked uh, video gaming, and I thought this was really intriguing too. But I just really, really sucked, um, and I, I kept like, um, yeah, feeling really hard at all the games we were playing at LAN parts and stuff. So I started playing around with setting up servers and stuff like that. I ended up with having a, uh, a like server sitting in uh, in like my my closet at home until I think did my parents shut it down at some point because I was like just running service at home like without telling anybody or something well your dad got a bill in the mail for servers when you were 12 years old oh, oh, and my. uh <laughs> you didn't have a chance to intercept it before he found it and he oh, then man. promptly called up the company and said do you realize that you have entered into a contract with a 12 year old <laughs> and that was the end of those servers oh no <laughs> man you could have been that, yeah, you could have been like a, a child millionaire, right? If you would have kept on going on that train, your poor, your poor father didn't realize what he was doing. <laughs> no, I'd probably lose a lot of doing. money because I wasn't really making any money off it. I was just paying monthly for the server without like getting anything back. <laughs> so that was when you were 12. So what's what's your trajectory been since that point? How did you uh, get into doing software stuff? Yeah, so I definitely started out with like, uh, like web development back with like Microsoft front page back when that existed. Uh, oh, yeah. Quickly oh, jumped yeah. into PHP because I found you can do really interesting things there, like tag walls and forums and all this really neat stuff from from the like the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, and then um, jump between a lot of different languages, playing around with ASP.NET and um, like also like C++ and a lot of like um, desktop apps and stuff. But uh, I'm pretty much back to square zero again, and I have been working with PHP professionally uh, since I graduated from college, and. You know, I use a lot of different tools on a daily basis, but I keep going back to PHP. Whatever gets the job done, I guess. Yeah, I, I like the idea of um, picking the right tool for the job. So it definitely depends yeah. on what you're building. So, for example, at work right now, we use a ton of different uh, technologies. And the same thing with the side project, to be honest. Like, um, we're actually going to talk a little bit about that uh, uh, during the Aricon, but um, there's a lot of tools involved to, to make... Uh, uh, to like make the entire side uh, run smoothly. So mm-hmm. very nice. Yeah. And how about yourself, Michelle? You're not obviously a developer. So how did you become a product person? I suppose. Yeah. So I, I'm not a developer, um, though. I, I wonder if I was destined to do something related to it, since both my parents are software engineers, and so it was something <laughs> I was know. around quite a bit as a kid. And you know, I remember playing around with like coding tutorials and whatnot. I remember one of them said, you know, congratulations, you've just turned your $1,000 computer into a $10 calculator. And I was like, well, this tutorial just insulted me. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and um, so I, I moved down here uh, from from Boston um, to, I, I hope to, you know, work in politics of some sort, whether that was, you know, journalism or as a political consultant. And um, at the time I was jumping into that while I was in school, um, social media was really just becoming a thing. Um, and so there was an opportunity to get into that world um, through digital and social media. Um, and so I um, became a digital consultant for a while and um, ended up taking on product as sort of as part of my job. Um, and then eventually transitioned into um, full-time um, product role. So what's that What's that look like? What's uh, 
what's being a full-time product person look like? Are you, are you just like the idea person? Like you just come up with ideas and like, then you delegate that work to developers or, you know, what, what's your daily workload look like? Uh, so it's a, it's a combination of things. Um, so, um, user and market research is a big part of it. Okay. Doing, um, testing. So, so I work with a lot of different people on, on a daily basis, whether that's working with, um, our UX team to do research about, the different jobs that people um, hire um, our investing products to do for them. Uh, we use jobs, the Jobs to Be Done framework, which is just an absolutely uh, fantastic framework that I recommend everyone look into. Um, so it's everything from doing that research to um, working with developers to you know, scope out the details um, of a task and make sure that they have all the pieces that they need to uh, but a lot of it is, you know, okay, what what are the the needs of the market, and how might we create something um, given our core IP um, and and commercialize that into a product? Um, it, it's a really um, it's a really fun job that requires a lot of different skills and uh, working with a lot of different people, and I enjoy that. Interesting, yeah, I. I'm sort of transitioning myself into like a lead developer job. And it's been a little bit weird for me because I've always kind of derived my value from the code that I'm able to produce. And I'm able to produce less and less code because I have more people to manage. So it's just, it's an interesting new world for me. I'm not like a product person yet, but like that's sort of kind of where it's going is I'm in uh, the organization that I'm in. It's my job to kind of go around to the different departments and figure out how we can, as a, you know, technical team, solve some of the problems that they have that they may know about or that they may not have any clue about, right? You know, uh, things that they're doing really inefficiently that we could do better. Um, so I've actually been looking at this blog post that you had out uh, recently called Six Product Books I Wish I'd Read Sooner. And you mentioned the Jobs to Be Done uh, book in there, as well as some other ones that looked really, really interesting. The Power of Habit, um, starting with Why by Simon Sinek. If that's how you pronounce his name, he's got some really good stuff out there. But I've been excited to kind of read through this. Is is the one on the top of your list, uh, the two uh, or the Jobs to Be Done stuff? Is that kind of really where you're uh, putting your focus these days? Yeah, uh, Jobs to Be Done um, has... I think has been a real breakthrough uh, for me and, and for our team in terms of getting at a better way of structuring um, customer needs. You know, there's that famous saying that, you know, if Henry Ford had asked um, people what they wanted, they would have said, you know, faster horses. And I, I don't think that statement is true for a lot of reasons, but um, I think it is true that as consumers, we find it difficult to articulate what our needs are. And Jobs to Be Done instead helps you determine what are the different tasks that people are trying to get done, what are the different goals they have, and then it's up to you as a product person to determine, okay, they have this job, what are the different tools that we have, and how might we formulate that into a feature or a product that serves that goal, that maybe isn't a feature that a, a feature that the product the um the user would necessarily know to ask for on their own and i think that's what makes it really exciting um and so um the jobs to be done book in that um blog post is one um there's also another um great book called uh when kale and coffee compete um that is another great introduction to jobs to be done and there's a there's a ton of blog posts on it as well um but it's also helpful for um structuring how a team talks about the value of a given product or a given feature to determine, well, you know, this, this part of the product is doing, is doing a functional job. And we realize there are other emotional jobs that maybe need to be done or a social job. And how do we make sure that the product is holistically um, serving the different jobs that someone has? Awesome. Yeah, that's some, those are really good questions to ask. And then I'm hoping that your guys talk will cover some of that stuff this year at Laracon. Yeah, that should be, that yeah. should be really interesting. I know that, um, the guys over at Basecamp use that a lot too. Uh, I think Ryan Singer was there at Laracon last year and kind of had talked about jobs to be done as well. Yeah, and I mean, uh, they've been uh, incredibly influential in my own development as a as a product person. Or what what is the book they have? Getting things not not getting things done. Um, yeah, they have like them. There there was one book they wrote, and and there was one quote in it that said, you know, any new feature should have to stand on the porch in the rain for three days before it's let in. Um, <laughs> you know, before you put development resources into something, you should really make sure that it's something the users want. And, you know, not to what you were saying earlier of just sort of the idea of someone who was coming up with ideas and then, you know, spewing yeah. them out to developers that that's not a good product development process. Yeah, these are all things that will be useful to me coming forward as well. Yeah. In, uh, in my new role that I start when I get back from from the US uh, at the beginning of August, it'll be more like Jake in a, in a lead developer thing. So it'll be nice to have that kind of, because it's always kind of been done 
not done for me, but there's always been people that have been focused around that sort of requirements gathering and figuring out what people need and, and what the what the actual problem is to be solved. So mm-hmm. I get the feeling with this new position that that sort of work is going to start transitioning onto my shoulders. So I look forward to it, but as long as it doesn't take me away from code too much, like Boy Jacob, <laughs> sounds of it. And there's another book <laughs> no. I, I, uh, I didn't mention on there, but is for, for someone who's transitioning into product, there's a book called uh, Inspired, um, How to Create uh, Products That Customers Love by Marty Kagan. That is another um, book that is really worth reading. And um, it also introduces the framework of, you know, in order to be successful, a product must be usable, it must be valuable, and it must be feasible. In the sense of, you know, it must be usable that the user needs to figure out how to use it, and they need to be able to discover the different things they can do with it. Um, it must be valuable to them. It must solve a, a true problem that they have, and then it must be technically feasible, feasible and possible for you to create. Hmm. Sound right. Those are really cool. Yeah, I, I, I've struggled with that in the past before, that idea of just like, oh, this is a shiny new idea. Let's do this. And then like you're halfway in and you realize nobody's going to know how to use this. Like, how are we going to yeah. tell the user that there's this new feature? And like, it's like 10 times more work to like educate the user that the feature is even there. You know what I mean? Then the value it even provides. Like it just, it's, it's really hard. You really have to think through those things before you even start the development process or else you get married to the idea you fall in love with the idea and then you're you know two weeks in and realize that it's worthless so oh for sure i mean i think that's where you know the value of prototyping and just constantly testing your ideas and and you know oftentimes the initial way you think a feature should look or what it should do ends up being very different than we end up launching and um and, and sometimes we find that you know we haven't truly discovered the product until we're very close to launch and then we end up, you know, launching something that isn't, isn't quite all the way there. But it's really exciting when you put something out in front of people and you feel very good about the value you're delivering. And then it turns out that there's something slightly more that you could do that makes it 10 times more valuable. Um, and yeah. I think that's what really drives me in product is those rare moments when you were, when, when you realize that you have discovered the product and it's just incredibly exciting. Very cool. Very cool. So, Matthias, we haven't heard too much from you, but as as this is a Laravel podcast, we thought we would get a bit of an understanding of how it was that you came to use the Laravel framework, what sort of drew you to it, what what encourages you to try and sneak it into your, your day job and things like that. Yeah, so I started losing Laravel uh, just when, I think Laravel 4 just came in beta by the time I discovered Laravel. So I had, they did like big, fork in the road where I had to decide should I start a new project with level 3 or level 4 and those huge differences. So um, it's actually really cool um, uh, because um, I started playing over level it's like late to early 2013 I think and um, and Laracon, the first Laracon ever uh, was in DC and I, f- I found out just after starting work with Laravel I was like oh my god it'll be awesome to go and I like tried to buy a ticket but it was completely sold out. So I just added myself to a wait list and I actually got an email from one of the organizers like a week beforehand saying, hey, I noticed you're local, like someone like couldn't go, like you want to take their ticket. So I got to go last minute to, to the first Laracon ever uh, with a badge for someone else's name on it. So, <laughs> uh, but it was pretty great. So everybody got your name, everybody got your name right that day, probably. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty easy to pronounce. I was like, uh, uh, yeah, whatever, Jonathan did. You were like a, a Scott or something or like. Yeah, Mike, something simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've pretty much been using Laravel ever since in in different, um, uh, you know, different different ways. So, of course, basically every single side project I ever worked on or we ever worked on has been Laravel based because, if yeah, usually it's web apps. So, so I'd be interested in yeah, I'd be interested to hear about a couple of those side projects. I know the one that I've used before is Geocode.io. And now help me help me know this. Is it Geocodio yeah. or is it Geocode.io? Is it Geocodio? Yeah. That's yeah, that's, that's probably the cowboy hat on the logo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So that's how I always pronounced it. And I just was like, okay. And then Michael was like, is it, which one is it? And I was like, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. So Geocodio. So what is that? Is it, is that built on Laravel? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. So high, high level, what Geocodio is, it's, 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 just a SaaS app, software as a service, 
uh, we have an API, um, and and what we do is uh, you can convert street addresses into latitude and longitude, or the reverse. And basically, people usually use this to say you have a list of, of addresses and you want to put them on a map, or you want to do some calculations on what's what's close to each other and stuff like that. They use an API like ours to to um, to process that. So it started out as two separate apps, uh, one Laravel-based app for like the, the the dashboard and website and everything. They've had a separate app that actually used um, the Slim framework uh, just to power the API. So I have to like separate that apart and make sure we had like some room to to scale without having to like touch the dashboard and stuff. But then um, Laravel Lumen came out, and pretty quickly after Laravel Lumen came out, we converted. Uh, the API from Slim to, to Laravel Lumen. So now we are completely Laravel based. Looks like it's got a really nice uh, API as well as I'm looking at the API docs here. So well done with that. Is uh, And that's been out for a while. I know that's been out for at least a couple years, right? Yeah. Yeah, about three and a half years now. Okay, awesome. And then you've just recently launched another product uh, on Spark. And I know you said, don't talk about it yet. It's not ready. <laughs> but we're going to talk about it because it's on Spark and it looks so cool. Michael and I both, were both looking at this before the show and we we're like, oh, interesting. How does that work? Uh, so it's pixelbug.io. So everybody go ahead and we're going to do load testing on Matthias's <laughs> uh, new SaaS app. Uh, but uh, why don't you tell us a little about that? And that's built on Spark, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, so basically, um, it started as more of a prototype, and then I figured, like, let's try to put online, put um, basically give people access to try this out. So it's completely free. There's no paywall or anything yet. <laughs> um, yeah. But but the idea basically came from 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 problems we faced uh, during my my uh, at my day job where um, sometimes we had uh, regression issues with, with like the layout of, of a web page. Like maybe we had a sign-up page on the, on, on, on the website and suddenly like a form field was displayed differently or had like was um, cascading in a weird way or had a wrong color or something because of uh, style sheet changes that weren't, a f that weren't tested correctly on this specific page. Um, so what Pixelbug does is simply it takes uh, screenshots on uh, of a website at a set interval, and then um, I wrote this little thing that basically does a visual diff of the screenshots, and it will let you know if anything has changed um, on the on the page. Um, so that's the, that's basically how it works right now. Uh, that's yeah, that's the, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the demo itself looks really cool. Yeah, it, I mean, it makes it really clear in like a a 10 second gif exactly what it does and yeah. um looks really cool nice i'm glad you like it yeah. so, so it's basically it's a basic prototype right now there's a lot of ways a lot of directions we can we can take this and and one of the things i probably will do in the future is yeah add some kind of paid tier and have some more complicated features like being able to test the page where you're already logged in stuff like that mm -hmm. i like it. i can see people finding it and using it for like tracking product launches when Apple puts out a new iPhone or when Google ch changes their pricing or something like that. Just just looking at the example that you've got there in that animated GIF on the homepage. That, that was actually one of my, that. That's a great idea. Yeah, that was like one of the other things I was thinking of. I was actually monitoring uh, the Tesla website to see whenever any new information um, was coming out on the website and, and diffing that. That's one of my first test sites. <laughs> yeah. Are you uh, are you in the pre-order bucket for the for one of the new Teslas? Um, yeah, yeah, for the Model 3, yeah. Very nice. nice. That's awesome. My, one of my questions with this is, is it going to be able to test different like breakpoints and different sizes? Will you be able to specify that? That's a good idea. Uh, that's definitely something um, that could be the next step. Uh, as I said, like, it's like a basic proof of concept and there's so many ways I can take this. And I think the big problem we have right now is actually like just trying to narrow down the scope because um, if you try to do too many things at once, I feel like it's not gonna, it's gonna be too confusing, like like landing page wise or like displaying it to everybody. Like you can even use it to like, you know, monitoring prices on competitors' websites or like really crazy things like that. But we need to like figure out what is the core idea here. So that's, that's not something something we're gonna talk about in the talk is uh, at Laracon is like like figuring out like what do people actually want versus what what are you building things like that so TBD. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah you got. It yeah, sounds absolutely. like you got somebody who's like giving you some good advice on that. I don't know, <laughs> like a product person in your family. Do you charge him, Michelle? Do you do you have like hourly rates? <laughs> 
<laughs> for consulting for for your husband? You, you'd be surprised the number of times we're just having breakfast or having dinner and all of a sudden like we're having um, a business conversation. Like I think, you know, I do products and he's a developer and you put us together and we can't help create things or turn our living room into you know, wireframing and taping things up on the wall and working through, working through all the complications of things. I think it's just, you know, starting and running businesses is what we find fun. We really want a whiteboard at home, but we're a little bit afraid yeah. that it's going to take, like, away hand. Like, we might need whiteboard walls. <laughs> yeah, that might be nice. Yeah. No, we uh, we don't put a we we've intentionally not put like a television in our in our master bedroom because I'm afraid like all I would do is watch TV. You know what I'm saying? We would never talk <laughs> at nighttime because like our, when our kids are going to sleep and taking an hour and a half to go to sleep, that's like the only time we have to talk during the day. But it's funny like we don't put a TV around. You guys don't put a whiteboard around because you're afraid that all you're going to do is like brainstorm <laughs> ideas all the time. That's really funny. Well, we don't have a TV around either. So <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden she's like, "You're fired." And you're like, "No, you're fired." <laughs> that's how your arguments end. <laughs> nice. You forget you forget if you're at home or at work, right? The number of times our dinner conversation turns into um, you know, talk about one of one of the products we've created together. You know, we, we have a daughter who's three years old and we say to ourselves, either she's gonna run a business herself or she's gonna like completely rebel and like not want nothing to do with business yeah. <laughs> because it's probably, you know, three quarters of the time what we're talking about at home. That's yeah. so funny. Amazing. Uh just before we do let you both go, you're in uh, Washington. I will be visiting Washington very briefly when when I'm on my Laracon tour. Are you are you still running the DC Laravel meetup? Is that something that's ongoing? Yeah. So um, uh, I'm actually no longer a part of it. Um, the big big thing was actually I I moved jobs and now I work uh, quite a bit outside DC. So. And okay. logistics-wise, it's kind of difficult to host a meetup or even attend a meetup in the first place. But uh, it's still going strong, as far as I'm aware. And, and actually, our our office just happens to be moving to very, very close to D.C. in just like, three weeks. So I'm really excited to go back and actually be able to attend the meetups again. So it, it's it's happening soon. But uh, uh, nice. we should definitely uh, check when you're getting here and see if we can, uh, we can do something. It'll be awesome. Yeah, especially if it's a meetup yeah. at the same time. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll have to do that. I'll have I'll have to keep an eye out and see if there's a, a meetup on while I'm there and and try and make it if I can. And uh, if not, I'm sure I'll see lots of those people in New York. And I know a bunch of the developers at the Fool are really excited about using Laravel, but are still on the wait list. I hear there's a thousand people on the wait list. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. We could have we maybe we could have one at the Fool. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the plan is to find maybe a bigger venue next year. I think I so. I, yeah. I mean, I think New York is you know a huge selling point because it's New York, and it's it's part of the reason that I got to come back again was because it was New York. My wife went, "Yeah, okay, but as long as you take me with you." So, <laughs> um, as long as long as the city is interesting and and the venue like it's getting crazy, and then there's talk of maybe doing a multi-track conference, which I'm personally not terribly crazy about. I don't want to miss out on any of the talks. I think. Last year, and I'm sure Jake, you'd be able to speak to previous years. All of the talks have been really good. So, the only reason you'd miss one is if you had to step out to the bathroom for whatever reason. Yep. Yep. True story. For sure. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for uh, coming on. Really appreciate you taking a little bit of time out uh, to talk with us. And super excited to hang out with you guys again in New York this year. Yeah, same here. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you very much. Looking forward to All right, guys. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. All right, guys, we'll talk soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that went well. And now we have a couple pieces of news to share with you, a couple code changes, and a couple new websites that are out in the community. Uh, So let's start with the big news. Michael, you want to tell us what's going on with Laracon US live stream? Yes, indeed. As we know that Laracon US for this year is completely and utterly and totally sold out. And whilst there are a few tickets... Totally sold out. Totally. And uh, once there are a few tickets popping up now and then, if you're wanting to see the conference, I think your best bet at this point will be to grab yourself a live stream ticket. So once again this year, Taylor and Laracon US have partnered with StreamerCon and they will be offering live streaming and early access to recorded videos for US $29.99. So that will give you the live stream 
of the event and we have been assured that there will be a hardwired connection with a, a good quality internet service. So there'll be no hiccups on, on the first day like we had last year, which is terrific news for those of you following along at home. And really, that's a pretty crazy good deal. Twenty nine ninety nine crazy for live deal. streaming. Yeah, 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 that's really good. So it's also, that's nice. I think it's also the best way to get your hands on the video archives. It would be the quickest way. I believe that attendees of the conference will get access to those videos, but they will be later on. Yeah. So I think they do that intentionally, right? It's kind of the same way they priced Lyricon online this last, or I guess it was this year uh, at $10. I think they do it just to kind of make it accessible to people who might not, you know, be able to afford uh, coming to the conference or who might not have like their job sponsoring them to come. So $29.99 is a great deal. Thanks to Taylor and uh, those involved for setting that pretty uh, reasonable price point. All right. So 5.4.28 released this week, and we have got some cool stuff in there. So uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Array Random. Our very own Caleb Porzio has been crowned the Helper King, I think, by Daniel Colborn yeah. uh, of 20% time. So uh, he somehow manages to get these helper functions pulled in. So Array Random is one of those, and I think his trick is he somehow finds a spot where it can be used in the core of the framework and then kind of says, oh, well, we could also use this outside of that spot and we'll just, I'll just make this nice little helper function. So uh, <laughs> array random is a, is a good one. So what you can do is you can pass it an, an array and then you can just say, hey, array random and it will grab one of the keys out or actually one of the values out of that array. Array random, uh, like the PHP native one, array rand, I think, just just grabs out an index of the array that you'll pass it, and then you have to pass in, you know, you have to say, grab me that value out of that array. So this is kind of just a, a faster way to do that. You can also specify uh, multiple. You can say, like, give me three random array values, and it'll do that as well. Uh, so that is on Laravel News uh, in the change log there, or on um, GitHub, you can check out the change log on that and see the pull request back and forth on that. There is also a couple things going on with the collection class. Michael, can you inform us about that? Uh, yeah. So a little while ago, there was a collection method added called when. So basically, it was a two-parameter function that would take a Boolean resolving value in the first argument. And then if that evaluated to true, it would use the second uh, callback function parameter to uh, perform some extra operation on that collection. So what we've got here now is an unless method, which is the exact opposite. So instead of passing, you know, when when not dollar boolean, you can now just say unless dollar boolean and it will handle that in a nice, more readable fashion for you. And I've used this multiple times recently and actually have been very frustrated when I've when I'm stuck in an older version. Like I was working on a code base that was five dot one the other day and Ooh. it was like, oh man, it looks so much cleaner. I think I think we ended up writing it in the new way just to see what it looked like and then wrote it, you know, had to go back to the old way. Yeah, yeah it was painful. Yeah. It was painful. But uh, this will be helpful. There is also a fresh method now on eloquent collections so if you have a collection of models the fresh method will go through and update all of those uh, models from the database so it will go grab the most recent version of those models from the database so this is something this fresh was uh, pulled in i think a couple weeks ago and now it's on the eloquent collections so that's great we also have related to that in model factories, this was something that there was a pull request out there this week that did not get pulled in, but I thought it was worth noting. So by default, when you use model factories in your tests, you have all the attributes that you've defined on that model. And when you call uh, factory and then pass in the name of the model that you want to uh, get a factory of, uh, and then call create, what it will do is it will only return to you those attributes that you specifically defined in your model factory. Um, and so the pull request was basically saying, well, there's these values that my database populates on that model and I want those as well. So for instance, maybe you're created at or you're updated at, or maybe you have some other things that are going on um, behind the scenes that are happening and they don't by default get pulled back from the database when you call create. And so the, the suggestion was to grab those as well. Um, it ended up getting rejected by Taylor, but the way that you can get those values is to call fresh 
on that after you call the create method. So if you say factory, your class name, create, and then fresh, that will actually pull back those um, those values from your database as well. Uh, those values that might uh, be pre-populated or, or however you want to say that, post-populated. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you'd call it, right? They're, yeah. they're hooks yeah. in the database, I think. So yeah. Yep. So that's uh, just a little helpful there. Nice. Um, yeah. Maybe you could tell us about uh, this default return stuff as well. Yeah. So uh, brought in as part of this pull request or the, sorry, this version is the ability to specify a default on your belongs to relationship. So basically what this allows you to do is set some default values, I guess, on your belongs to relationship. Yeah, and so I kind of read some of the back and forth on this. And what this allows you to do is in in a belongs to relationship, so maybe a user has posts or posts has user. Let's go with that, posts has user. And uh, what you could do is in that relationship, so in your posts class, you might have a user method and then it would be belongs to user. So you'd pass in the user class and then you can say with and then you can pass in either an array or you can pass in a closure. And those values that you provide there will be returned by default if there is no user relationship that is uh, found in the database for that particular post that you're pulling. So this might be in, might be um, useful for a couple different reasons. Maybe you have like an admin user in this specific case, right? If there's no user specified for the post, you want to return the admin user. And so you could specify the user ID or just the username and the email or something like that. This would also allow you to return uh, a spell, a spe- uh, I suppose a null object in case um, you ever get caught out by that. So if you were to call post user and then there's nothing there and then you try and call name on that user without having to do a is set check or uh, you know is there a user check. Uh, you could just always know that name is going to be there because you've passed a default for it. Uh, so there's a couple instances uh, where it could be helpful, and I'm sure there will be plenty more that the community will discover. But uh, I thought that was interesting and um, pretty cool. Very nice. Uh, all right, what else have we got? We've talked about uh, we talked a little bit about before the show about this uh, the yield directive and the mm-hmm. second argument being passed in there. Maybe you could fill us in on that one. Yeah. So when you have a yield section in your template usually in a top level layout you can yield and then pass a default value in there so say you're listing some content and if no content was available or no no content was passed to the view you could set a default value so previously that value was not escaped as part of this pull request it is however this is a breaking change in that it now breaks if you're passing in a view for example as that second parameter it will then escape the view and cause you some issues so there is a workaround for it and that is to basically change your uh, yield statement to generate a html string of that view so the change will be in the show notes for you to have a look at but basically as the second argument instead of passing in view uh, parenthesis name of the view you could pass in a new illuminate support html string and then pass that view function call into that as the constructor yeah and really that seems like a kind of odd use case to me so i find the most common uses i have of this are when i just need to pass something real simple so maybe i have a layout class and i have kind of like a hero image across the top and for the home page, I need it to be like really tall. Uh, but for all the other pages, I just need it to be like a little bit smaller. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I will make it that smaller version. My layout file will be that smaller header version of it. But on the one that needs to be hero, I'll, I want like a class of hero on it. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is I'll have a, uh, I'll pass through as my second argument there, the class name of that, of that you know, header that I want to set. So I just pass through class name equals hero or something like that. But what some people are doing that we're complaining about this being a breaking change is they're actually passing through the HTML of a view, right, into their yield statement, which seems, again, a little bit, like not what it was made to be used for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it could affect you if you're, if you're passing through like raw html that you want to be displayed but i think this is the correct decision i don't know that you'd i don't know that it's a great assumption to assume that everything that gets passed through there is is properly escaped so laravel is just going to escape it for you and make sure that they protect you a little bit 
from echoing out some dangerous HTML. Yeah. Yeah, I think long-term, it's the right idea. I don't know how common a practice it is, but I'm sure we'll find out in the coming weeks how much of a of a breaking change that is in particular. Yeah, and this is the same sort of thing that happened when they changed it so that Blade templates uh, by default re- uh, escaped content instead of rendered it. Mm. You know, So it used to be that double braces would would let you put anything in there. So if you put any HTML, anything, it would just render it totally fine. And then they changed it so that double braces was escaped content, right? So they do exactly what's happening here. And instead of, uh, and instead, so now what you have to do is you have to put the brace exclamation point, exclamation point, and then that will allow you to pass in like HTML that can be sent straight to the page. But there was a little bit of an outcry about that, but everybody got used to it and it was totally fine. I assume that this is going to be a much less or much smaller portion of the community that will be affected by this, but worth noting in any case. Definitely. The other thing that we wanted to talk about that's kind of uh, code related. Well, let's, why don't we talk about uh, DD on collections real quick for 5.5. Five. Um, so this is something that's super helpful. If you've ever, or if you work with collections a lot, which it seems like the community at large does a lot more ever since Adam's uh, refactoring collections book, there'll be a lot of times where you're just kind of working with your collection. You're trying to figure out where exactly you're, you're at in your collection pipeline. And, and you just kind of need to see a view of, of your collection pipeline at a certain point. Well, one helper that has been out there for a while that uh, Freik has in his uh, big collections package is dump or DD on a collection. So you can just pipe to DD or uh, dump and it will it'll, it'll dump out the contents of the collection at that point. So Taylor is actually making the decision to pull that into 5.5 core so that you don't have to have a macro to make that happen. So I think that's pretty great because that's something I find myself needing to do on a really regular basis. And it'll be nice to not having to comment out the rest of my pipeline and put yeah. a DD around the whole thing, which yeah. I do all the time. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be good. Yeah, definitely helpful. Yeah. One other thing, just as a public service announcement, I wanted to note here. On Twitter this week, I put, I found out painfully that using Carbon... If you use sub month or add month, there is sort of a bug in there. To the credit of the Carbon Package Creator, this is actually something that he's mirroring in PHP Core. This happens in PHP as well. And so he's just kind of mirroring the implementation that they have there. That was his reasoning. But what will happen is if you are at the end of a month. So we were at the 30th of the month, I think the 31st of a month. And what we were doing is we were going to sub month. So give me the previous month. If that previous month has less days than the month that you're on, than the current day that you're on, it will not subtract a month. What it will do instead is it will go to the beginning of the month. So give me, Mm -hmm. for an example, let's say you're on March 29th. If you're on March 29th and you did carbon now and then said sub-month, instead of going to February 29th, because there isn't one, right, it would go to March 1st, which can cause some really unexpected behavior. If you were like iterating over a bunch, uh, some carbon stuff and then storing those months for maybe reports or something like that, you'd find that depending on the day that you, uh, day of the month that you were on, if you were near the end of the month, February would get skipped. So you'd have no February month for your reportings. Yeah. Um, right. So, and it does the same thing going forwards too. Yeah. So if you were in January and you were on the 29th and you said add month, it would not go to. Uh, you know, February 29th again, uh, because there isn't one. Uh, but I think it just goes to the end of the month, yeah. end of January. Unless there's a um, late so, Right, yeah, exactly. So the the fix for this is there's a method called sub-month no overflow or add-month no overflow. And it does exactly what you would think it normally would do, but it is not the default implementation. So again, if you're on March 29th and you say sub-month mm-hmm. no overflow, it'll take you to February 28th. Perfect, no problem. The other way around it is to say carbon now, start of month, and then sub-month, right? Because it'll, it'll always work. Sub-month and add-month will always work if you're on the first of the month. It mm-hmm. only happens when you're towards the end that it causes problems. But sometimes the day matters, right? The day that you're on actually matters. Yeah. So in those cases, you need to be able to do sub-month without having to worry it's going to break. So I hate to say go in and swap all your sub-month implementations or sub-month in the overflow. The other option is to pull request something to carbon. Yeah. I believe there's also a method you can call on on carbon itself to basically make the 
the no overflow, the default behavior. Hmm. We can we can link that up in the show notes when we find it. But it's interesting interesting that this came up because I was talking with some of my colleagues about it, and this is a problem that that I first encountered probably about nine years ago. <laughs> And wow. and it and it and it's the same thing in in MySQL where if you're using date intervals and you add one month, the same thing will happen. And so when you're doing, for example, recurring billing, Ooh. anyone that signed up or had their first billing on the thirty first of the month would eventually have their billing on the thirtieth of the month. Would eventually have it on the 29th of the month. Would eventually have it on the twenty eighth of the month, because that's where you normalize all of your months. Every single month always has twenty eight days. So the twenty eighth was always the most active billing day on our on our recurring calendar. So yeah, it's huh, not that's weird. I think I mean it's just a it's just a computer thing. Like if you add one month, it's generally day to day. And if the day doesn't exist in the next month, then yeah, that happens. So obviously, carbon has functionality to to avoid that issue but it's it's certainly yeah good public service announcement nonetheless yeah um we've got a couple websites that came out in the community this last week michael you want to tell us about those yeah so i think first and foremost we'll talk about laravel.io so laravel.io i guess was kind of the de facto community forum for the laravel well community before laracast sort of came around and and really took the I got to stop saying community to the community <laughs> by storm. So Laravel.io was originally started by, uh, I think Sean McCall and yeah, one or two other so. folks. It was subsequently taken over, uh, the, or the management of it was taken over by Dries Vince. So this has been a, a project that's been on the go for a year or two now. And, and it's, it's now in production. So congratulations to, Dries and all the all the contributors of of Laravel.io and getting the new version up and running and it looks pretty slick. Yeah, it does. And the other thing is that it's entirely open source. Hmm. So if you're ever looking for a good fully featured project to look at as reference, this is open source and you can contribute to it. And you know, obviously, it's built on Laravel. There's been some cool things I've seen uh, in there just kind of browsing through. I think we might have talked about it on the show before, but uh, ha- they have all their route model bindings in a bindings.php class mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. routes folder. And they're just auto loading those in that route service provider. Yeah. So yeah, just little things here and there. Just It's cool to see different the way that different people structure their applications. And and uh, like I said, good for, just for reference, if nothing else. Uh and uh, you know, opened a pull request as well, so that's cool. Yeah. There's also a website out there called Tweet Snippet. I need to look up who uh, made this now. Yeah. So Tweet Snippet. Do you want to try and pronounce his name? No, I do not. I would rather you do that. <laughs> Let me see. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh man, it's even. Yeah, it's got a. It's got a it's character got a, in an it. An O with a slash through. Is oh, it yeah, Casper right. Sorensen? I believe it's oh, Sorensen. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. So he says here basically that he tends to browse the, uh, Twitter three to four times a day and he st- stumbles upon these little pieces of, of code. This is like the Adam Wathen thing, right? So you, little hot tips. You put a little fire emoji and then your hot tip and a screenshot. This is the pattern. And so uh, a lot of people have been doing this recently and it's it's great, but it can be hard to keep track of all of them. So yeah. what he's doing kind of as a service to uh, anybody, really there's Vue, there's React, there's Laravel, there's CodeEdit, there's JavaScript, there's ES6, there's CSS, there's Design. There's all sorts of different kind of snippet lists he has here. But you can go on there and you can see a large majority of the different snippets that have kind of been posted throughout the day or, or previous weeks here. Uh, I see he's added a retweet button as well, actually, which is kind of cool. Uh, so you can retweet it straight from here. Uh, so it's just a nice little aggregate site of all these little quick tips that have kind of popped up recently. And it's helpful for sure. Yeah, it's definitely the easiest way to keep track of them all. Yeah. You know, I mean, you said on our other show that uh, that you're using the Twitter moments to to capture them and, and keep track of them. So uh, yeah, I, think I find this, this is, to be easier though. Yeah, 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 much easier. It's like it's focused on on what this is all about. It makes it easy to you know look at things based on whether it's PHP or Laravel or, or Vue, as you say, and uh, it's presented really nicely as well. It is, yeah. The design is really good. So definitely check that out. Thank you very much, Casper, for putting that together. Hopefully. Uh, Hopefully he's kind of able to keep up with that. I'm sure he would. I don't know if he'd be open to help or not. If if he if uh, you know he wasn't able to keep up with it, but uh, maybe in the future as uh, as these become more popular and uh, 
you know, they have more people in the community doing them. So we'll see. Anyway, yeah. uh, great job, Casper. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for today's show. Uh, this does. is episode, episode 41. So if you liked this episode, you can find show notes for it at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 41. Also, if you liked the show, please feel free to rate it up in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Five stars is very much appreciated. <sighs> what else? Who do we have next week? Who are we have on next week for an uh, interview? The next episode, you and I, when you come to Chicago, yep. please. Yeah. <laughs> we need to do this face-to-face and I don't know. Who, we'll, we'll, we'll do something special because we'll be face-to-face. That's right. We'll, That's we'll, right. we'll be eating a Portillo's hot dog together. Yes. Maybe not. We, I mean, we won't be eating a hot dog together. No, We're there'll be no lady be sharing in the a hot dog. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, not doing that. Uh, <laughs> although with the Italian beef, I mean, if it was the only Italian beef, I would be tempted because their Italian beef is pretty dang good. You know, yeah. I'm, uh, I'll go with the hot I'm, dog anyway. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Yeah. So it should be fun. Should be fun. So, but yes, the next time we speak on this show, we will we will at least be in the same time zone. Uh, yeah, which will be yep, the be, easiest be show that we have ever recorded, I imagine. Yep, yep. And are we doing a super show? Are we doing a big thing? I think that that might be the one. Like we'll have to try and organize it somehow. Okay. Yeah, we were going to try and get all the all the folks on, all the, yeah. all the big dogs. You know, see if we can get them all together for a show. So we'll see if we can pull it off or not. We will see. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening. We will talk to you in two weeks. Peace out. Did you need to do your your foreign goodbye? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, I could actually. Denmark. Denmark. And uh, because Michelle is from America, but her husband, Matthias, is from Denmark. Farvel. Very nice. You always do so much better than I do. I just have to (laughs) cheat and use the Google Translate, you know, let it talk to me and and hear it, and then I can just imitate it. So, (laughs) nicely done. See ya. All right. See you guys.